Okay, everybody. It finally happened after, <laughs> after months and weeks of waiting and what felt like month, months and weeks on Saturday. Oh, uh, my God. Between picks, <laughs> the Detroit Lions 21, 2021 draft class has been delivered. You all saw it. I am Nick Baumgartner along with Chris Burke. We're here to talk about it today. Chris, uh, have you have you recovered from the <laughs> the annual draft marathon there? I It's one of those... Saturday, the third day of the draft is one of those things that I... Oh, I try yeah, not right. to complain about it on right, Twitter because yeah. it's not <laughs> like there's obviously worse things happening to people. <laughs> and, yes, you know, like you yes. seven, eight hours of watching draft coverage is is pretty far down the list. But when they traded yeah. back, they traded up to get Barnes in the fourth. And then they had what, what was like 140 picks yeah. in between. It was, it was a lot. Yeah, <laughs> when they like picked Barnes and when they picked Jamar Jefferson. And you pretty much knew they weren't going to move back in anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was. I mean, that. Yeah. <laughs> I think I went and wa- I watched. I went and watched the Red Wings shootout for a few minutes. Yeah, right. Like it's just a long time. But yeah, um, a, a really interesting first weekend. And I think you know, as we've mm-hmm. sort of covered, I think everyone's covered now. Like, if you were going in there curious if Brad Holmes was going to kind of stick to the plan he'd kind of laid out so far and 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 stay on course. I mean, yeah. you got to feel pretty good about. What happened? I mean, we're always going to be. Everyone's always going to have an eye on Justin Fields in Chicago now, but I think you got to right. feel good about yeah. what the Lions did. Yes, uh, we'll get into <laughs> all of that uh, here today. I would also say, like Saturday, I love that you said that because, like, Saturday's the day on the draft where I'm always like, I tweeted it actually this time, but I'm always like, Saturday separates the adults from the children in terms of the football world of who <laughs> right, really, yeah. who really. Who is really into this and who's just pretends, you know, like that kind of thing. But anyway, <laughs> let's go back to Thursday as we start here because, you know, we talked so much for, you know, starting in January, maybe even in December, really, when I thought back about it, you know, about what they could possibly do. But really, once they traded Stafford and, you know, the quarterback conversation heated up, you know, we talked so much, Chris, about what would happen if the Lions got to seven and they had Justin Fields and Panay Sewell still on the board. And as we saw, you know, the 49ers take... Trey Lance, Mac Jones obviously falls out of the top 10, as we talked about for five months. Like, we're not going insane, <laughs> right? He's not a top three pick, yeah. correct? Right. So anyway, long story short there, they get to seven, and, you know, Sewell and Fields are still on the board. So when they got there and they got on the clock, what was your immediate sort of thought? Were you just like, okay, okay, here we go. I have no idea what they're about to do. Or were you right. just like, it has to be Sewell here? I mean, like, what was your sort of in the moment thought before we saw the pick. I mean, I I think we kind of had the feeling it was going to be Sewell in that situation. Yeah. The only question for me was whether they were going to do it there or whether like Denver or I mean I mean the right. you saw the, saw the challenge uh in, you know, Fields and trading back like he wound up in Chicago obviously. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that you would have traded that pick within the division, and I don't think they wanted to go down. What was Chicago twenty? Right, Washington was yeah, nineteen, 20. Chicago twenty. So I don't think they wanted yep. to go that far back in the first round. And uh, right. New England, I mean, I think it pretty clearly New England had its sights set on Mac Jones for whatever Absolutely. reason the whole time. Yep. You know, Denver obviously had Fields there, didn't take him. Um, so I think that uh, the opportunities to trade out were. We're probably not really there the way that Brad Holmes might have been hoping they were there. And as he said, you know, they had three guys at that spot that they really liked yeah. in the value range there. 
I think it's based on sort of the the buzz we heard headed into the draft. It's probably safe to assume Jamar Chase was one of those guys, and then mm-hmm. Sewell obviously was one, and I Rashawn Slater I think was the third. Right. So yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I mean that's I, how I read as it. As they were yeah. on the clock, I was thinking they were going to probably take Sewell if they weren't trading it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Was there even anyone else? Because you know Chase was gone. No. Waddle was gone, right? Waddle won six. Like yep, there wasn't was even really anyone else. Like I guess Devontae Smith, maybe, or like did they have Slater ahead of Sewell? But there wasn't a whole lot of drama after all those months. It was just whether they were going to trade it or stay right. and pick Sewell. I didn't never really got the feeling that they were going to take Fields. No, I never got the feeling either. But I agree with you all the way through. And I would add that I think the trade was the one thing that it was just like for me. It was hanging there. Was like, are they going to be able to do it? Are they going right. to be able to pull it off? And like you said. It was revealed later that, you know, obviously Chicago was the team that wanted to go up and get fields, but, and maybe you don't want to do that for all the reasons you laid out, but I did wonder, you know, in the moment, like, you know, four hours before the draft kicked Thursday, Aaron Rodgers uh, threw a fit (laughs) in public, right? right? And tried to throw his football team under the bus and tried to put a gun to their head and say, trade me. So I wondered if Denver, and I still wonder this. If Denver was like, mm. we're not moving up mm-hmm. because if we think we can trade for Aaron Rodgers, why the hell wouldn't we just do that? And I wondered if like, you know, as they're sitting there and I, when it got to like after Cincinnati took Jamar Chase, I was like, uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to trade this. It's going to be that thing that we talked about so many times where it's like Sewell and Fields are going to be there. And then you look and you're like, well, New England is clearly not moving off 15. They are absolutely going to sit there and take Tom Brady Jr., which is what they did. (laughs) They weren't trading that pick. We knew that, right? So you go and you look at it and you're like, Denver, uh, Washington, or I suppose Chicago. And it was just like, well, if Denver's not going to do it, then I guess it is what it is. And, you know, like we talked about so many times, like if nothing else, you come out of that with Penny Sewell, I don't know how you can be mad about that. And that was the, my initial thought was like, Let's see if they can pull this off. And, you know, if they can't, you know, there's that initial for me. It was, I don't know if I would call it disappointment, but it was like that initial, like, uh, oh, that would have been cool to see. But then immediately you're just like, well, whatever, they got Sewell. So that's pretty cool. Too. <laughs> so that was sort of how I sort of went through it. But I can understand. I mean, I think fans were still in the moment, like their heads were spinning and no one you know, quite knew what. But I think everybody, for the most part, was pretty happy with that pick. Yeah, I mean, it... it- it's tough. I mean, I can understand the people, too, who are disappointed they didn't take Fields because, as we've talked about, Justin yeah, Fields right. is really, really good. Really good player. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think there's a chance that – I don't want to say that it comes back to bite him because I think Panay Sewell is everything Very he's good, been built yeah. up to be. Like, he's a guy that you could see being on this offensive line for 10 or 15 years and making all – being an all-pro selection pretty regularly. Right. Like, he has that upside. But as we've talked about, Justin Fields, uh, as we sort of broke it down, was – the second or third best quarterback in this class behind Trevor right. Lawrence. I think you had him too, and I I like Trey Lance a little bit better, but it was yeah, close for both right? of us. Totally agree. Um, mm-hmm. And so to sit there and and to have him fall into your laps, that was kind of the thing we talked about leading into this. Was was there a guy that, that was going to fall there? And they said, "All right, well, we love Sewell, but we can't we can't yeah. not take this guy." And obviously, that didn't right. happen. You know, Brad Holmes said uh, we liked. We liked Fields. We think he's going to be good, but we had Sewell rated higher, so that's who we took. And you can't really fault that. I mean, I think, you know, there is maybe some argument to tweaking the board a little bit to bumping quarterbacks up higher if you're desperate to find that franchise quarterback. Um, But you want to go by your rankings. You want best player available. Sewell was their best player available, and so that's what they did. So, 
again, it's going to be <laughs> every time mm. Justin Fields throws a touchdown pass for the next <laughs> 10 years, there's going to be affectionate Alliance fans that are like, well, what are you doing, you idiots? Look at what you could have had. I want to say like 20 minutes went by and the Bears got on the clock and then they picked Fields. And I think you like sacked me like 15 minutes later. And you're like, I think Lions fans are pretty pissed at it. I'm like, I think they're only pissed because the Bears got Fields. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. I'm like, because if you go back, like we talked about this two, three weeks ago, you know, the quarterback spot is obviously number one, right? In football. We all know that you can't go anywhere without a quarterback, but like you, <laughs> the offensive line is number two and tackle is number one on that list. So like Chris just said, you just drafted a guy who if health, I mean, at this point, like unless something freaky happens or he gets hurt or whatever else, I, I really have a hard time seeing this guy not pan out to be a pretty good player. Like this could be a 15 year draft pick. This could be like a 15 year, 10 to 15 year draft pick at like maybe the second most premium position on a football field, right? Like, so like if you had any questions about Justin Fields and if you're Brad Holmes and you had fewer about Panay Sewell, then that's what you do. And that's what they did. And it you know all things considered the situation that the lions are in i think chicago's in a better situation right now to bring a quarterback in as a young player and put him in there and see what happens they have a better team they have a better team around him right now and the lions you know frankly don't because like we've talked about if you took fields there at 7 then you wouldn't have benay Sewell in front of him like so i mean you'd have all these other <laughs> right, issues yeah. to to go off of so like i mean the the lions just frankly I think when it came down to it, and we got so many questions about this all the way up until the minute, basically they're on the clock. Like, do you take a quarterback? And for me, it always came back to like, I just don't think they're ready. I just think that's the breaks. That's just, you you know, the ownership is doing all it can to fix this. But like, you screwed up big time last year. You screwed up by not firing those guys when you probably should have. And this is kind of just what you're going to have to deal with. You're not, you weren't ready to draft a quarterback in a year where you probably could have, and you had, you know, what we would believe two guys in Lance and Fields that could be generational players, but like you could have brought them in here and they would have still been generational talents and failed miserably because your team sucks. Like, you know what I mean? So I I, I cannot argue with what they did. I mean, at, at seven, I just, I went over it a thousand times in my head. I just don't think I can argue with it. I mean, we'll see, you know, down the road, if people want to go back, but in the moment, like, all the evidence that you had there, it's hard to uh, it's hard to nitpick at all with with the decision they made. Yeah, me, and I, anyway. I don't think it's any. I mean, there's obviously no guarantee that Justin Fields is going to be incredible. Right. I mean, maybe that maybe he goes there and struggles. I, I do think it's funny, and this is just sort of the product of the draft cycle. You know, we we were answering. You mentioned getting questions right up to the minute. You know, we we're kind of hearing yeah. from people, and I think like the general. Uh, maybe it's just the Twitter sphere in general. Uh, mm. Just four months of Justin Fields, like, oh, this guy doesn't like, he doesn't sucks. love football. Yeah. <laughs> He's overrated. He can't throw from the right. pocket. His his release is too long. And then the reads. Lions yeah. don't take him, and it's like, oh my god, <laughs> what? <laughs> Could you not take on, this guy? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and so I think that oh, that's no. uh, yeah. always kind of <laughs> kind of funny to track too. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I oh, that's funny. Sewell was as weak kind of went through this process ourselves and tried to figure out what they were doing and where they were going to would want to go Sewell emerged for us as pretty clearly yeah. the number one option for them like if he was there yeah. at seven you couldn't trade and get a bunch of picks that was the guy and I don't think you can argue with it and again you look at where what they're trying to build how they're trying to build it and as we've talked about a ton now you have an offensive line of <laughs> Decker oh Sewell Ragnow yeah. You hope Jonah Jackson's in that mix for a while. 
You've got an offensive coordinator in Anthony Lynn who, you know, if things go well, is probably a head coach again in a couple of years. But, you know, yep. for the in the meantime is has an offense that's going to use the athleticism he has there. Like this is pretty intriguing. I don't know that they're going to be a, a top 10 offense, but I think that mm-hmm. what they built here uh, is, I mean, you could see them hanging in games this year just on the strength of that offensive line alone, just yeah. on being able to control the line of scrimmage and control the clock a little and open up some possibilities. Right. Like I, I Give think, yourself a chance, yeah. And then you look a couple years down the line, like you find another wide receiver or two. I mean, this is how you get the ball rolling on a rebuild. I, I don't think there's any question that they did a very good job plugging in pieces that can help them not just this year be competitive, but really get this thing started. And I think that, you know, and I don't want to, overstep sometimes and sometimes you you see how moves are made and you know you know the team doesn't want to share every single detail about why it makes moves but you can see why you know some of these moves in the offseason were made like Panay Sewell coming in here you know the Lions when Brad Holmes gets here clearly thinks that you know Panay Sewell is probably t- pretty high on his board right and if you think you have a chance now you look up and you say his offensive line coach is someone that recruited him in person in high school and Hank Fraley that he's familiar with uh, Tyrell Crosby's here. You have two outstanding players in Ragnow and Decker that he can learn with. Jonah Jackson is a really good young player that he can learn with, grow with. You know, I mean, like the situation that he's being put in as a 20 year old, second youngest player in the draft. Like, you look at the defensive side, and we'll get into him in a second, but like Anzurike, when they draft him, and now you know why they got Michael Brockers, right? Like, he's a guy who can mentor him and all these things. And Anthony Lynn is a coach on the offensive side that like Justin Herbert raved about last year, about how well he was, how much he did for him as a younger player. Like you see the spots that they're putting these guys in too. And I think that that also should be noted. Like Sewell's situation here as a 20 year old that he's walking into, I mean, he's an outstanding talent, but like he is walking into, I don't know if you could script it better. Like this is a, like it feels almost ideal. The spot that he's coming you know, coming here to sort of fit into. I mean, like they want him here for all these reasons and everything else, but I'm the people around him, I think that are going to help him grow and learn. And it's not going to be something where, you know, you see a 20 year old come in here and he's overwhelmed and lost in a locker room full of adults that he can't, you know, relate to or get along with. I don't think that's going to be the case. And I think that when you take that into account, you know, what they did at every stop, I think that that's actually, that, that spoke more to me about all the things they've talked about in the offseason about we're not bringing people in here that we don't think fit and we're going to make sure that the people we do bring in here have people around them on the roster that will make sure they get you know to where we want them to go. I thought that was that hit me every time. I'm almost every pick they made. It, uh, there was something that made me think about you know a move they made prior to that sort of helps that person maybe adjust. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you wrote uh, you wrote something in. Um... I think it was maybe one of our recap posts, you yeah, know, Saturday mentioning, uh, I don't even remember what pick it was, but you were talking about yeah. that very specific, that specific yeah. thing, you know, just saying like, this is, you, you added these guys, now you bring in this guy, it all kind of fits together. And I think that that's part of the, mm-hmm. the rebuild process too. And when they talk about looking three, four or five years out, like the best teams don't, you don't wait until you're right, losing right. a guy to go try and replace a guy. You have someone who can come in, who's ideally still on a rookie contract so he's cheaper and you know when Brockers two years from now if Michael Brockers is moving on or whatever you've got Onzerike and you've got Aline McNeil playing pretty significant roles and I think that that you saw that across the board same with Barnes like Jamie Collins is here for 
maybe one more maybe year, one more year. T- two yeah. if things really go well this year. Uh, right, right, yeah, if he plays well. And then Derek Barnes is a guy who can maybe step into that role, play a hybrid of what Collins and Anzalone are going to give you. I mean, you're just sort of doing this uh, across the board, other than Sewell, who I think we, we can plug in as <laughs> a starting oh, yeah. right tackle. Right. Um, but uh, really, across the board on the rest of those picks, uh, you have guys who can either fill a role now or can learn from someone who's going to fill that role out of the gate. And so I think that that is part of the rebuilding process too. I think that makes uh, a lot of sense. And as we saw, you know, Dan Campbell then was on uh, Sirius XM Tuesday talking about how they're going to play, you know, some three, four base. And I mean, I think you see Mm -hmm. some of the, some of the pieces fall into place, the picture getting a little clearer here about what this is going to be, how all these guys are going to plug in and, and sort of maybe even who's, uh, uh, going to be on the outside looking in as camp opens and and I think it yeah. all kind of makes sense. I we talked about it before we started recording like the front seven is maybe not terrible. <laughs> like there It's already better. There's uh, <laughs> some yeah, options right. there like he says they're going to be a base 3-4 and that you know you look at what the Rams yeah. did, I can understand that. You look at where McNeil's going to plug in and all these guys. Sure, but we know they're not going to play 3-4 all the time. There's going to be a ton of you know, four two five looks and all those mm-hmm. sub packages and you can do that. Like not just yeah, right. throw guys out there and be in that formation, but have guys that make sense in those in those roles. So uh right. I think they've got to be pretty happy with what they did on uh on the second day too and on the third day. Yeah, let's just go into it. I mean like you mentioned Anzarike. I mean that was a guy that um you know, on two or on uh, Friday when the day opened, you know, we talked so much Thursday night and, and all day Friday about, you know, Usakoromora was there, um, Aziz Ojolari was there. They made it to forty-one. Um, you know, all those guys that we talked about at the top of the round, Jabril Cox um, was there still, and I think was Baron Browning was still there. I mean, all those guys were still there, and Maury they go was there. Like this, yeah. Out I mean, like too, yeah. yeah. And this is the guy they picked, and it was pretty clear, you know, afterward, Chris, like Friday night that this was the guy when Brad Holmes went to bed on Thursday, whatever time, like that on, on Wuzurike was the guy he was thinking about. I mean, like that seemed pretty clear to me that that was the guy they wanted no matter what uh, at 41. And, and that's who they got. I mean, we went through a little bit of the stuff, but like when you watched him, you know, I guess what, what was your reaction in, in, in the real time? And then once you got into it a little bit, um, you know, maybe how does he fit? Yeah. I mean, I, I was a little surprised just because of the other names you mentioned that were on the board and we kind yeah. of found out, a couple days after that there were maybe some health concerns on Awusu Koromora. Like that's why he right, fell to yeah. 52. But yeah, I mean, I, we had talked about Anzarike as a possible fit for what they wanted to do because of his game. I mean, he's super versatile, super athletic. He can plug in as, you know, uh, one of the three tech guys four tech. Like mm-hmm. he, he makes a lot of sense for this defense and, and what they want it to be. So the name itself didn't surprise me. Uh, like you said, there were some no, other guys yeah. there that I thought, they might look at as they kind of slid down the board, but um, I, I definitely am not surprised that they liked him or that they liked McNeil. I thought it was really interesting to hear Brad Holmes. You know, we talk so much about them maybe trading out of seven, trading out of 41, just mm-hmm. getting as many shots at this as possible. So not only did he trade into uh, day three again to get Derek three, yeah. Barnes oh, and give yeah. up a pick next year, um, but he talked, he said there were. I think he mentioned three separate occasions where they thought about trading up. He said at the end of day one, right. they thought about going up for Anzarike. He talked about maybe moving up for uh, St. Brown. And the way he described it, it sounded like 
uh, Melifanu, maybe he thought about moving right. up for too. So there are three different times where he talked about considering <laughs> yeah, trading right. up, which A, is interesting that he admitted that. Like we, right, yeah. Like, it's great. I hope he continues down that path of being right. candid. But B, you know, I, I think that that sort of um, gives some glimpse into how they're going to approach this too. It's not going to be just, well, we need 400 draft picks to fill this thing. It's right, going to be, yeah. we here's the guys we're in love with. If we can get mm-hmm. this this guy that we love, that's better than having two or three guys that we like. Um, and, yep. and so I think that that is something to kind of file away for next year as they have, you know, the multiple first round picks and they'll be getting three comp picks probably. And then the year after, as they have multiple first round picks, like, I think we can safely assume that Brad Holmes is going to be aggressive if the opportunity presents itself. Like, I think that if this draft taught us anything about Brad Holmes, it's that number one, he trusts his eye, um, without, there is no, there is no hesitation there. Like he trusts the work that he puts in and the st- and the work that his staff puts in. And I thought it was interesting, actually, like you said it, Chris, he, he actually mentioned, I don't know if it was like Ray Agnew or Campbell or Dorsey or somebody else, like, but he mentioned that the room pulled him back a little bit and was like, Hey, Whoa, like you don't, we don't need to trade. We know you love these guys, but like, we don't need to trade up for every single one of them. Like you can, let's just, let's just relax a second and see what happens. And you know, you, <laughs> right, yeah. you see as they kind of stuck through the rest of the way, you like, you know, they were getting value. I mean, they, the guys were falling and sliding. Like, I think he, he kind of like, you know, it's a learning experience. It was his first draft, you know, Holmes that is uh, running it and everything else. But you could sort of tell even when he was talking, like with like Melon Fonwu, it's, you know, it sounded like he was like horrified that he wouldn't be there. It was just like, yeah. we have to go get him. Like he's, <laughs> we have to go get him. He's standing out on the board like a sore thumb. Like we, we should have picked him 60 picks ago. Like that was, you could sort of hear the monologue running in his head. And it was funny how he was kind of like, I appreciated the rest of the room being like, whoa, hey, you know, let's just, let's just relax a second and, and you know, see if these guys fall to us. But like, I thought it was, if you're, if you're a Lions fan, I, th- I think it should be reassuring that. You know, he knows who he wants and he knows, you know, the work they put in, all these things. We've talked about how exhaustive, you know, his whole process is and everything else. I believe at some point he talked about how, that you know, he had the Lions upgrade, you know, their their war room, like everything. Like it needed to be yeah. the way they scouted prospects was just going to be on a completely different level. And when it came down to draft day, like he was completely prepared. And I think that that whether or not these guys pan out that's a different conversation but these guys are athletes like every single guy they got except for maybe Jefferson at the end and St. Brown I guess is a good athlete but the rest of them are like elite type mm-hmm. athletes in certain areas so i thought it was a fascinating type draft and you know i mean Anzarike is a great example because he's a guy that if you look at his you know this is the the case for a lot of defensive linemen but like his numbers are never going to tell the story on him i mean he's a guy that creates situations. I mean, you noted the thing, you put the clip in there that in the story wrote today that uh, I think Jim Nagy had found that was a yep. great one. But I mean, there's so many of those that like he's creating havoc for everyone around him inside with just, he's like impossible to knock down. He's impossible to like knock off his track if you want, you know, like he's still sloppy with a lot of technique, but athletically for a guy that size with that much like twitch and power, he has the, the potential to be, I think, like an elite, elite disruptor from, like you said it, from head up tackle all the way down to nose. Like, I think he could do pretty much anything in the middle of your line. And I think that's why you see Brad Holmes slamming his hand through a table when they draft Sewell, <laughs> because like, that's the guy we wanted. Yeah. And you see him like jumping out of his seat when they got this guy, because 
I think they got the guys they wanted. And I think that that's, that's a great start. Well, the, the Anzarike discussion too is sort of points to, like you said, sometimes with these defensive linemen, you're never going to get the production that feels like you should get just right. like raw numbers. That's kind of been the case with Trey Flowers too, uh, when he's been healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that, you know, that clip we had in there is, I think he was playing like a zero tech, like over the right. center and he chased down a screen pass. And that, you know, some of this is <laughs> right. um, like, how did his college teams use him versus how the Lions are going to use him? And if they're, you know, if they are right. playing three, four base, I think Lee McNeil translates pretty naturally from where he was in college, you know, just playing mm-hmm. heads up on the nose. But Anzarike is probably going to have more, I would think. You know, one gapping opportunities from like a three tech role than he had in college, and Derek yeah. Barnes might get more just pure pass rush opportunities than he had last year at Purdue. So I think you can see some of the upside uh, in these guys. It was interesting, like you said, to hear him to hear Holmes say, "Well, you know, we <laughs> had some guys in the room like talk me down from being too aggressive," yeah. and I think that that you know we have talked a lot about how they've rebuilt this front office this year. And I think it probably did help them to have Ray Agnew and especially John Dorsey in that room uh, just to kind of get him through this first one, because no matter how prepared he was, there was always going to be, you know, some anxiousness or some moments where he was just like, I, I don't know what, you know, your head's kind of spinning. It's just going to happen in your first draft. And so I think it benefited him to have, uh, those guys in the room and the other thing you brought up how he tweaked the you know whatever the scouting department the analytics department all the technology yeah. in the draft room i will say that when bob quinn came in he also did see he also upgraded Correct. some of that stuff so i don't know what they had in there before uh, yeah right bob quinn like jet or something like <laughs> pulling up like the like the yeah, I don't know. Like just pulling Batman up a, equipment you know, of like some a VHS yeah, right. and rewinding through it. Uh, so I, I you know, yeah. and again, I would caution people too, just because, just because they loved Anzarike and they loved right. you know Melifon, yeah, well, that right. doesn't mean that that's uh-huh. gonna click. Like we did this when Bob Quinn was like, "Well, we got to take Jelani Tavai right now, or someone's gonna <laughs> grab him." So sometimes right. these yeah. things work, and sometimes they don't. But I, I think if you're trusting. Again, if you're trusting what Brad Holmes is doing and what this process has been, you feel more comfortable about some of these picks than what the previous regime would have done. So uh, I don't right. know. So we've well, I, I know we still want to talk about a few more of these guys. We're about a half yeah, hour yeah. into this. We've written a bunch. No worries. Yeah, all of this has been good stuff so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should we be negative? Is there anything that you didn't like about this draft or that you thought they could have done yeah, better? I mean, because I feel like we haven't criticized a lot of it. Right. That's a great point. And it was going to be, it's hard to do that right now because of, so, because they need everything. Like you can't, like when they doubled up on tackles, like, and I, and and it was the same conversation. Like when, when they got to round three and they go back, was McNeil was right after, uh, am I remembering this wrong? McNeil was the third. Yeah. McNeil was early round three. Yeah. They still had guys on the board that like maybe, you know, at linebacker, safety, these type of things. And like, these are the questions that I had where it was like, I still don't know. We don't know completely what Dan Campbell, Aaron Glenn and Brad Holmes think of, you know, Will Harris, for example. Like, I I don't know every detail about what they think they can get, you know, beyond whatever. And we didn't know what, 
you know, their safety situation or who they had targeted beyond that. But like at the same time, like when they go back to back and they take, you know, a guy like, so they take Levi in round two and you're like, okay, well, yeah, he's, that's a good pick. That's good value. And then they take McNeil in the third and you're like, well, I mean, like he can help them. Like he's going to do something that they need. So I, you know, I can't really, you know, those are the things, but I mean, the longer they went on, I think they, they waited at linebackers. So like Derek Barnes is going to have to work because you passed on some linebackers who I think we thought, you know, athletically were exactly maybe what they wanted. So like, that's one that you would say, okay, well, He's one of the guys that you circled and you waited and you took him. And so that has to work. And I think, you know, Melifonwu would be another one where it's like you didn't take a safety, um, you know, and he certainly can play corner. And maybe he's the guy who is the the answer to the all important who covers the tight end, you know, here question. But like I look at some of that stuff and it's like, well, they have to pan out, of course. But there wasn't much that you could really be mad about because, like we said at the top, everything they've done has been really logical. Like, everything they've done just makes, uh, even in the draft here, I mean, all of these guys, if you just go back through and look at everything they can do, have these traits athletically that are at the top of the heap. They're like 98, 99 percentile in some of these cases, right? Like crazy numbers in multiple areas that they can do certain things very, very well that other people can't replicate. And when you're just doing that, if nothing else, at positions of need, it's really hard to nitpick it. So like, the bigger question now becomes what were what were Dan Campbell and and company's you know sort of evaluations of the current roster and how did that impact what mm-hmm. they took here, and then sort of how they develop everything going forward because you, you know you're going to have to do it again like Brad Holmes next year is going to have to nail it again and then like do it again and then maybe <laughs> this will work like that's yeah. that's the situation they're in there's just right. not a lot of room for error so. You know, but yeah, if they were going to go out there and take like guys like Tavai who are running a four nine in the second round and put him at Sam <laughs> linebacker and look at us with a straight face and th- and say like we think he can play here, then like I'd have been like get this guy out of here. Like what are we doing? Like that's not you know what I mean. But that's not what happened. So I think that that's important to note. And you know the the guys that they loved, if you know football, you can watch it and say that makes sense. It makes sense. So I think a lot of what they did just made a lot of really basic logical sense and it was hard to really get mad you could nitpick about every one of these picks if you wanted to but it was hard to get you know like i don't know what they're doing there i mean i don't think i had any of those moments where i was like what the hell are they doing here i don't did you i mean i i don't know if i quite had any like i don't get this at all uh no not really i mean like you said i think there were guys at every spot where i was like well they that right they probably could have used him i mentioned morig at it was there at 41 Mm -hmm. uh Usukor Moore, as you said, Ojolari was there at 41. Like Pete Warner was there still. And then yeah. as you get into the third, um, especially like at wide receiver, uh, like Chaz Surratt yeah. went to the Vikings right after that. So now you got to mm-hmm. face him all yep. the time. And like Deami Brown, Amari Rogers went to the Packers. Um, Nico mm. Collins was in there somewhere. So Dear like God. some guys that, <laughs> some guys that uh, you could have looked at and said, well, that, fits a need but again i think that they had their guys that they liked and and as you said i think especially at the defensive line now you kind of go back and and look at like deshaun hand and nick williams Mm -hmm. maybe john penasini and say well are these guys still gonna be here uh because they've drafted people who could replace them now in theory and so um i think some of that does give you an indication of where they looked at at the roster but i will also say i think you know, the big hope with this coaching staff now, as Campbell said and you in his introductory press conference, and you hope is not just words, is that you're not drafting 
well, we need a linebacker who's six four two sixty with exactly. inch arms to play this role. They're drafting these great athletes that they think can help them make plays, and then you maybe you play a three four base. Maybe that's what you want to be in. But if Anzarike and McNeil and Brockers, like if these guys work better in a four man front where you're one gapping all the time. Maybe yeah, that's what you right. go to. That's what you wind up in. I, I think right. that that's the hope is that this uh, coaching staff is better equipped to put guys in positions to succeed than other players. Like with the Patricia coaching staff, I kind of like in my mind now you, you go back through all these moments that happened. Um, and the one we yeah. always sort of talk about is them just like letting Patrick Mahomes run for a first down in a game they could have <laughs> beaten the Chiefs. They didn't have anyone on right. him. But I go back. I think it was. Must have been Patricia's first year. They went down to Dallas. They had a great back and forth game. Like Golden Tate went off. They had a lead late. And then the play that they got beat on was Dak Prescott threw a great, like just a perfect throw downfield to uh, Ezekiel Elliott. And uh, the Mm -hmm. line, you know, Matt Patricia said after the game, like we studied two years of tapes, whatever on these guys. They never ran that route. They never (laughs) threw that ball to Elliott. And that, okay, Cowboys made a play. Great play. You had Jared Davis running in coverage 50 yards down the field against the what best, one expect, of the best running man. backs in football. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, you right. got to put guys in positions to succeed. And I think right. that the, you now you look at this and you say, all right, well, I, we're going to find out what Anzarike can do and what McNeil can do and what Barnes can do. These, Like you said, these are extremely athletic guys. And above all, that was what this team needed. They were just so, so slow and unathletic yes. when it counted. And you've tried to remedy that. The entire operation now is just more open-minded. I think that that's, they're just more willing to try whatever will work. Like, cause that's football. Like Patricia's entire thing was so rigid. And so like, it has to be exactly this. And if this guy doesn't, can't, you know, like all the way down to everything, right? Like when he would talk about pass rush, like if you can't knock a guy over, you are a shitty pass rusher. It's like, no, man, like you can do other, there are multiple ways to do these things, right? Like there's a thousand ways to do this. And I think that those are all things to note here. Like they're just more open-minded. Like I think you, you look at a guy like on Wuzurike and you're like, he can play a couple different spots. Aline McNeil is a, you know, run plugger that you could put over the center, but like, we put a clip in there of him running down a running back from high school for 90 yards. This guy can run. Like, he can be a pass rusher. He can go make a play in the backfield. He can do some different things and maybe slide around a little bit. And then you look at a guy like Melifonwu. That's the guy, to me, that Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn would have never taken. Because, like, wh- where does he fit? What does he do? I don't want him. He's a in-between type guy. I don't know exactly what this is. And I don't know if the Lions even really know what he is yet. But, yeah. like... They're willing to take the ride and find out, you know what I mean? Because he's a really good athlete. You watch him play. He flips his hips. He's got some attitude. Like, when he breaks a pass up, he lets you know about it. Like, you know, they're going to find out. And I think that that's how they drafted. That's how they did. They went back and they studied all this tape and they went, you know, deep on every guy. And if you go down the list, you can find, you know, when when we talked to Sewell on Saturday, how fired up he was. Uh, Ruzrique's cussing every five seconds. Everybody saw that thing. You know, all these guys have attitudes that fit what they want, and they have traits that fit what they want, and they're usable, and they'll see what happens as it goes. It's not he's drafted and we have his plan for the next five years right now. Like that's how Quinn and Patricia drafted, and it was never we can't deviate from whatever happens. This to me seems like this the, the ending of the book hasn't been written yet, and we're gonna find out 
how it goes, where it was like in the other way, it was like, we've written the ending and now we're going to try to reverse engineer how we get there. And that's yeah. not what this is. So I think that the, the way the Lions are doing it just makes so much more sense. It just gives you more room for error and all these different things. And you can sort of adjust and adapt and do different things as they present themselves along the way. And that's the one thing, Patricia, just he, they could never adjust. They could never adjust to anything because they just box themselves into these corners that they couldn't get out of. And I think that a draft like this, I mean, you see how people nationally that know football and look at metrics and everything else. I mean, you saw how they reacted. They thought it was an outstanding class because it gives you wiggle room, athletic wiggle room that the previous regime just never afforded the roster. And I think that that no matter what you think of these guys all the way down, you can't dispute that. That's a fact. And that is pretty much an indisputable one in my book. Yeah. And I mean, that's a really good way to cover up when you have deficiencies in general in the NFL is you yeah. just have some athleticism on the field like that can help you. Right. Like we talked about the play that's in there of Anzurike chasing down a screen pass. Like, just go get him. Yeah, just the right. ability to go run after the football and tackle someone. Right. I mean, that is maybe the difference between giving up a third and 10 for a first down and getting off the field sometimes. Like, you don't have to be in perfect 100%. position. Just have guys who can go run and make a play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't have enough of those before. I, I did want to talk about Melifanu and uh, yeah. St. Brown because we haven't gotten too much into them. And that round three, round four turn, and then Barnes too. Uh, mm-hmm. But you brought up Melifanu. Maybe they don't know exactly know where he's going to be yet. Uh, because, again, I think that that points to uh, just sort of drafting a guy that you think can be a good football player and figuring out where he's best at. Right, but also, yeah. he's a really... I mean, he's kind of a unique guy because of his size, um, you know, whatever, 6'2", whatever it is, 205, he's long. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. he looks... Like Super one of the cornerback range. safety hybrids. He also looks yep. a lot like Quentin Dunbar, who's going to be out there yep. for the Lions. Uh, I don't know. Do you have a – where do you think he fits in? Like is he going to be just their fourth cornerback this year or do you think he can be something else for them? I, I think that in sub-package type situations, I've wondered if you know he's a guy that – yeah, maybe he starts at corner, right? Like maybe he's – a guy that you teach him outside and you and you let him learn, but maybe also in like certain sub packages, if you want to bring if you're if you're playing a team that has like a twitchy tight end and you want to be a nickel a lot, and you know, maybe he's your nickel. Maybe he's a guy that you kind of put in as an overhang and say, like, he, you're running with the tight end today. And you're gonna be, you know, you know, Will Harris, we've talked about, you know, boy, wouldn't it be great if Will Harris could cover a tight end, right? I mean, like, but if you like Will Harris for other things and you want to leave him on the field and you want to get an extra DB in there who can do it. Like that might be a guy who can do it. So I, I would be curious to see if they give him a chance to sort of do some of that. I, I do think he's a little hybrid-ish, uh, but not not so much in like like Simmons. Isaiah Simmons last year was the guy that I wanted them to take back mm-hmm. in January because it was like he's a linebacker, he's a safety, he's a corner, he's a nickel. It's like he's a second and third level hybrid, whereas Malfano is probably just like a third level hybrid. I, I mean, I guess you could probably slide him to the box. I don't know how much you'd want to work against him, you know, against the run. Uh, I suppose he could help because he is physical. Like you said, he's got those long arms and he can, you know, he shakes blocks pretty good outside in some of those screens. But yeah, I do wonder if in sub packages, at least early, like if he's here to just be a guy who covers the big, long, really difficult, you know, targets that we see now in the NFL that we talk so much about Kyle Pitts, right? Like teams are going to have to have an answer for guys like that. And not everybody's Kyle Pitts, but you have to have answers for players like that. And the Lions did not have one. And he, you know, this this guy could be it. And so where he lands, I suppose, will be sort of open for, we'll see. But I, I do think that you're going to at least see them give a shot at, you know, let's see if he can run with tight ends and 
Let's see if he can cover him, because if he can do that, then he's worth his weight and whatever you're paying him right off the shoot, because nobody else on this team can do that. Yeah, and again, it sort of makes you reevaluate what was here, because especially on defense, you look at Will Harris, Tracy Walker, uh, Deshaun Hand, Nick Williams, Oru Warrior, I think, and you're sort of wondering, well, does any of this still make sense, or were these only guys who fit what the Lions mm-hmm. were trying to do before. And I think, you know, Tracy Walker is a guy we talked about. I, I still think, especially given the lack of other moves at safety, that that's a guy that they're counting on to have a, a big role. But yeah, Will Harris, maybe he is – maybe he, he mentioned right. you know, maybe know. you can't use Melifanu in the box. Maybe you could use Will Harris down there as a if right. you want to, bring him down and, and just let him be a little more physical. I don't know. I, I And same with Hand. Like, I think Hand – like he's a guy we've seen him play mm-hmm. in that nose tackle pass rushing role. We've seen him play like he probably should be a three tech almost exclusively. Like he, yes, he, yes, he yeah. uh, <laughs> he's a guy that you can move around a little bit too. So maybe they have something for him, but I don't know. I mean, I think we still need to find out some of those answers. But with Melifanu, I'm with you. I I was I mentioned in our story we had something up now um, at the athletic just sort of our first impressions going back and looking at these guys tapes again and i i i said i'd watched him a little bit before he wasn't a guy that i'd watched like five or six games of but i was surprised re-watching him at how smooth the movements are and you mentioned the ability to yeah. flip the hips like some of those games like when they are facing clemson like those are receivers that can go Big time. like just yeah. take off and go yeah. and he was able to to turn and run with them for the most part and i think that that's a really good sign that you know he could be a guy that you could uh, trust in a yeah. lot of different spots. His Clemson tape is the like the best one to watch because he makes like a couple of really really good plays against like you said like really good players, but he also gets uh, Trevor gets him a couple times too, <laughs> too right. where yeah. it's like he gets lost and he doesn't quite know you know where he's at and Lawrence burns him. So it's like that's it's a really good window into where he is right now because yeah I mean he's running with. Uh, Rodgers and Cornell Powell and doing what he wants. I mean, he had a couple PBUs. I think he got his hand in on one and caused an interception. Uh, he flipped around and knocked one down on the corner. And then he got lost on something else and got beat for a touchdown. So, like, he still has things he's got to do. But, like, yeah, I mean, the, just the, the raw ability and all the things that he has. Like, when the longer – he was another one. The longer Holmes talked about him Friday, you were like, well, I, okay. Like, I get it. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, last year when they take Stenberg – and you're like, why? What, what are you doing? <laughs> you're just like, this guy's played one position for five years and you just took a guard. What are you doing? Like, you know, like st- stuff like that, that we would go over and you're just like, I don't know, maybe he'll pan out. We'll see. Or even like last year when you saw, when you saw some of the additions they made and you were just like, well, this defense is just going to be bad because they're going to be slow and they're not going to be <laughs> like right. this defense in 2021 probably will be bad, but you know what? They might make some plays now and again. They might give themselves a chance because they'll be able to run better pretty much in every area. We've just talked about a couple guys up front that'll give them a chance to do something, right? So I think that you look at all these, the athletic upgrades and you're just like, well, at least they're going to give themselves a chance in some instances. And I think that if you look at it that way at the early stage of a rebuild here, then that's probably the best way to look at it because last year going into the season, I mean, my God, like if you looked at the defense, it was just like, why are we even talking about it? They're obviously going to be bad. But for, there's no point, right? So, like, I don't know if that's quite the case this year, but, you know, there's there's some guys in there at least you can be hopeful about, I think. 
Yeah, and I, I you know, I don't want to oversell athleticism covering up everything, but the differences right. between having McNeil, uh, Brockers, Unzarike up front, and right. what they had last year is big, and the oh linebacker yeah. to go from. A base of like Jared Davis was an athletic guy, and they just sure. never really figured out how to use it the right way. But now you have Anzalone, Collins, Barnes in there. I think that mm-hmm. that is yep. better than Christian yep. Jones, certainly, and Tavai, and uh, and then at corner, you know, Dunbar is a freak. Like that's a former wide receiver, and right, uh, you know, I mean, I think they're just adding guys across the board who, again, are just better athletes, and you hope that the football. IQ the the everything sort of falls into place and it all matches up with the athleticism but at the bare minimum they're faster and they're harder to right. deal with and they're harder to match yeah. up with and I mentioned in the the story too uh that's up Wednesday like it's a big difference to have guys who actually can go from a three man front to a four man front and and right. play one gap or two gap as opposed to having guys like John Penasini last year was really effective in his role, but he was only playing early yeah, downs yeah, over right. the ball, two gapping. And they had Nick Williams, who was supposed to be this great pass rusher, and then they wound up using him only as a run stuffer on those right. early down situations. And now you have a bunch of players who can who can be at four or five different spots on that off- on that defensive line. And so I think that that's a huge difference too. Um, St. Brown... Yeah. Uh, Man, I uh, <laughs> loved watching him back again. Like I knew he, yeah. I, I, we kind of, he's a guy that I thought would be in this mix in, you know, round three, round four, but, right. you know, just looking at him and looking at what they have and what they needed, he's not the, he's not the Uber athlete like we've been talking about. Like no. he's not the Jalen Waddle type who's just going to kill people with his speed over the middle or t- take off and, and just be, you know, run by guys all the time. But uh, there's so much to like about his game, especially yeah. as it translates to the next level immediately. I think that that's a big part of it too. Like they need someone who can play yes. right away yes. in the slot. And I think that the things that he does well work right away. He is all business. I watched, we watched everybody's pro day, to be fair. Uh, Chris and I did for, for the whole year. Oh, but I mean, I remember I specifically, me. you know, his pro day stood out. Like his, I mean, everybody at USC had, had a nice day. But like his work that day, for whatever reason, was one that I watched. I remember I watched it for like 25 minutes. And I don't know why, but like he just, every drill he did, you could see the foot. Like his dad was Mr. Olympia, I think, right? I think that's yeah. the situation. Like, so... <laughs> This is a serious athlete. You know what I mean? Like, he's a guy who I remember when he was a recruit um, and everybody wanted him, right? But, like, I remember when he got to USC and it's like, this is a grown-ass man as an 18-year-old freshman. Like, he is not an overwhelming athlete. He's not, like, run by everybody, but he is not afraid of anything. Uh, He tracks the ball in the air and plays through contact as well as probably any slot in the class. And he's just business. Like, he's a boring player in, like, the best way. Like, I think he's a guy who could go run clean routes and squat like in the hole, you know, over in a zone or whatever, and just sit there and make, you know, 55 catches for you. If you got guys around him that can help out. I mean, he's a guy that keeps your offense moving. He keeps drives going. He's not going to be a liability, you know, in blocking. He's not going to get lost on his routes. He's going to know what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a low floor or high floor situation. He reminded me of Robert Woods. He reminded you of Cooper cup. I think like those type of receivers 
are what Brad Holmes was talking about back in like January, February, when he talked about, you know, how they flipped the room pretty quickly. You do it by finding these guys with these like super high floors that if nothing else, he's just going to be a pretty good football player for you. And I think that that's what this is. I mean, like that's, uh, I, I, did you think, were you, <laughs> Lions fans, I don't think we're super happy about it when they took him necessarily, but like, I don't know, were, was your sense that maybe they were, or did it grow on them a little bit? I don't know. I, people seem torn on the St. Brown pick a little bit. Uh, yeah. What happened. At least I think in my it, eye. I think it's probably, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it's probably grown on them a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah. I think most of that was that, as we talked about, there were guys there in round two and round right. three yeah. that you could have plugged in as, as that kind of electrifying slot guy, or maybe as your new X on the outside and just the, mm-hmm. they still need, I mean, I still think they need, uh, more of a, a uh, slot guy that has some wiggle to him and they still need oh, yeah. long-term yeah, options on the outside. So those are, those are jobs that Brad Holmes still has to go find. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think that they're going to like him once this gets going because he's going to move, keep the chains moving. He's going to be reliable. I mentioned like if you're testing teams vertically with speed on the outside and forcing safeties to pay attention to Williams and Perriman, St. Mm-hmm. Brown is just going to carve people up over the middle of the field because yep. you, he is so good at sort of finding those spaces. And also, he—he, he, uh, I think we both mentioned it in the story, like just the way he is right before the ball gets to him. Yes. Looks yeah, like the an NFL veteran. Like the way he just yeah. uses those little push-offs or a little last step to get mm-hmm. a little – create a window uh, is – is NFL ready. And I mentioned like I had some memories of James Jones watching him. Like that was a guy who was in green Bay and like, he never put up a thousand yards, but he was like 40, 50 catches a year. And he, every time you watched him in a big, when it was third down, when they were in the red zone, Aaron Rodgers was looking for him and he'd make these catches and you'd, the play would end and you'd be like, how did he, how do you do that? He was, the coverage was all over him. How do they keep completing these passes? And he'd just drive defenses nuts because they'd have guys hanging off him and he'd still pick up 15 yards and move the chains. And I think St. Brown can be that. He gets everything out of his body. Like, I think that that's the thing I, I notice when I watch him the most, like he just, he gets everything out of his body. That's the best way to say it when you say it, like playing through contact, making these catches in traffic. Like he talked to quarterbacks over the years about their favorite receivers. And it's the guy that makes them look good. It's the guy that they're just like, I'm going to put it <laughs> right. over yeah. there in that window. Cause I'm getting the, I got a 300 pounder bearing down on me here and I'm just going to see what happens. And the guy like, I've covered Jim Harbaugh for a long time, right? Like he used to talk about Tom Waddle, how much he loved playing with Tom Waddle because he was like, if I've got six guys tackling me, I can close my eyes and throw it in a general direction and Tom Waddle will run through a brick wall to go try to catch the ball. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's what he's going to do and he's always going to do it. And I see St. Brown as one of those type of receivers. I just think he's a very consistent player. You can watch him as a freshman. You can watch him as a sophomore. You can watch him as a junior and you see a pretty similar, you know, he's improving, but you see, you see it, you know, like he's, he's paying attention to detail with his routes. He's, He's using his whole body to cut. He's selling guys. He's setting guys up with his eyes and all this stuff that the little nuance, I think he gets it. And um, I was probably more excited about that one the next day because at the moment I I was like, well, we'll see. We'll see, you know, and the more you went back and remind yourself of it, it was like, no, I think he's a sturdy player, like just a really solid football player that you take him in the third right there. That's a pretty good spot for it. So yeah, can't hate that one. I don't want to compare him like these these guys aren't the same receiver, but like Lions fans loved 
when Anquan Bolden was here uh, yeah, because he was a just a, like yep. he was just a guy you put him Same in a slot you could put him outside. Mm-hmm. It, he was like a four seven guy. <laughs> he had an incredible yeah, NFL yeah. <laughs> career because he just knew how to get open and knew how to use his body. And he was right. like twenty pounds bigger than St. Brown. He's more physical. Like again, they're not the same guy, but it's the same idea. Where it's just like, mm-hmm. all right, it's third and six. They're bringing a blitz. We're not going to have time to get guys downfield. Who's going to get open for me? Yeah, and and, and this is <laughs> right, and that's <laughs> yeah. right, and that's the type of guy you want. Um, so yeah, I I think that that pick's going to work out uh, really well for them. I think the Barnes think one so too has a chance to be. Barnes is really interesting to me because Brad, even as Brad Holmes described him, you know he's he's kind of throwbacky in the way he's built and the the way he wants to play the game. But I think he comes again with that athleticism where there are plays where he's just like chasing. Oh, yeah. Slot guys in motion and making tackles in the backfield and all these things that the Lions, both from an athleticism standpoint and just a general football awareness standpoint, couldn't do at the linebacker spot last year. Yeah, the last like 10 years, five to 10 years in college, you've seen the trend of these running backs that have switched over and now they're inside linebackers and they are so much fun to watch because they still... They still sort of like think like a running back. They can move like a running back. And when you can put guys in front of them, that'll keep them clean and let them just sort of run and, you know, track guys down because I think they, they have a pretty good, you know, they have a pretty good line into kind of a running back's instincts. And Barnes is that kind of guy. He's not like the, whoa, you know, fast. And I, that's probably why he's taken in the fourth round there. But like, he's, I think fast enough. Like, I mean, I, there was a, Clip, I think we added the clip in there. No, it wasn't. I didn't put it in, but like there's a really good clip. There's a bunch of these actually, but there's one from him against, I think, Iowa last year, where Iowa just runs a like a bubble to the wide side of the field, um, out of motion. And he he recognized it and ID'd it before the snap, but also like he kind of chases the guy under the block and chases him basically into his help and out of bounds. He doesn't make the tackle, but like he chases him out of danger. He knows exactly where it's going. There's no hesitation. And the play's dead basically before it starts because he ID'd it and had just enough speed to get it out of there. The one thing I would question with him is the same thing I used to think about all the time when I was watching Devin Bush was, you know, if you if you don't have a guy in front of him that can keep him clean and if a guard catches him, he's going to take him for a ride for like 10 yards and there's not anything you're going to be able to do about it. He's just going to get, he's going to get rooted out of there. So like, that's the one thing against the run, you know, is his speed enough to just, to just be a complete difference maker and then... You know, can he be, I guess, stronger or maybe even savvier with his play strength to get around some of that? Because he does have super strong hands, but he's still only like, what, 229 or two whatever it is. So I do wonder sometimes about that, how he is between the tackles. But I mean, if you got guys that can keep him clean, let him run, you know, he can work out. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. And I think it's also a lot of those highlights are like even the plays of him chasing down passes to the flat like that's those are really good plays and really good tackles but it's also like straight line stuff so i think that you got to wait and see you know can he handle dropping and playing like his own coverage at the nfl level can he right kind of sift through so like whether it's using the power or whether it's just getting around blocks like does he have that kind of change of direction that's going to work so i think you know he's a fourth round guy i I don't want to put too much on his plate early but i also think that again this is one of those things where you can see kind of the plan for where he will be. Like you could put him in behind Jamie Collins and just say, look, just watch Jamie mm-hmm. Collins and, you know, learn from him. This is what we mm-hmm. want you to be. Or you can go 
do a little bit of that with Jamie Collins. You could have him go play a little bit of the Alex Anzalone role, which is yeah. going to be kind of all over the place. You could have him play. I think you're, they're going to want him rushing the passer off the edge some. Like yeah. there should be yeah. some of those opportunities for him too. So I think that, um, you know, that both in terms of the versatility and in terms of being able to see what he needs to work on, I, I think this makes sense too. So uh, that's yeah, a guy I, that has a lot of potential, I think. Big time. And I think that, like, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but he's – my guess would be that they think Derek Barnes can be in three years the, you know, the guy who sets up the defense for him on the field and is the play caller and is, you know, the guy who gets the thing in from the from the sideline and, you know, everything else, all that sort of thing. And I think that you said it with Anzalone. I think he's – that might be the guy he trains with the most, right? Where it's like he's got those arms and he's got the length and – if they can really get him into a situation where he can be really savvy in zone, you know, maybe that's the guy who can be inside outside for you and, you know, kind of the future of the middle of your defense. I mean, the, you know, Campbell talks about that a ton. You know, you have to have guys on the field, you know, who everybody trusts. And if you go back and read, um, and here's a, another plug for Dane's draft guide, but like he's got stuff in there on Derek Barnes about how everybody at Purdue loved him. Great teammate, big time. You know, I think he was like all academic he was a captain or something. I don't remember what it all was, but that was the whole thing. It was like he was a guy that everybody really, really liked and everybody played hard around and with and everything else. So I looked at that and I was like, that's probably the guy they hope can be, you know, their table setter at some point, you know, down the road for him. I will say that, well, we talked a little earlier about sort of surprises in the draft. And I think that it was, it did surprise me that they didn't take more of a, clear and obvious coverage linebacker or a safety one or the other because i think that that's Mm -hmm. still those are still both kind of glaring needs as they move forward i think they have a lot of options now for those kind of hybrid edge types uh i think barnes you know again i think can move around quite a bit but i wouldn't call him like he's not anzalone he's not a pure coverage guy like you're not going to stick him out there and just use him in coverage all the time and to to couple that with not adding another safety um right i think it's interesting i I mentioned on twitter like i could see them certainly signing a safety at some point here there's still a bunch of them out there that that would fit but that was if there was anything that surprised me in this draft class it was probably that they didn't do more kind of up the middle against the pass on defense because i still think that that's a a weak spot for them merrick was a hard one to see go just to see them pass on for me. Yeah. Like, cause I thought, I mean, we, I think we agreed on that one. He was like, he was a first round safety, I think, or he was probably late twenties, you know, somewhere in there that seemed like the spot for him. And I would agree. I would say the same thing for Grant who went a little bit ahead of him, but yeah. I, and then, you know, the more I thought about it, you know, I still don't know where I land on it. Cause like, he's a really good player who is exactly what they need and can do a couple different things. All these things that we talk about, but at the same time, like I think about it and I'm just like, okay, well, let's think about this. You put a safety back there and you're hoping that he alleviates some of your issues against the run, but also like helps you, you know, against tight ends and helps you down the field. If your defensive front is still so bad that you can't move a quarterback <laughs> off his spot, right. that you yeah. can't stop anybody from just not running the ball down your throat on third and five, then who the hell cares how good your <laughs> strong safety is? Like, so I can see both sides of it. You know what I mean? And I, I think that when you look at uh, them not taking that safety, you know, taking advantage of it early like that, because we did talk about it, and I, I still stand by it. I thought the safety class thinned out pretty hard after Merritt, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I didn't hate it from that standpoint, but at the same time, it was hard because like he's a really good player, and maybe you will be at a point in a year or two, and it's like uh, if they only had a safety, you know, that kind of thing, right? So like that's what I sort of juggle with, and I don't know if we'll know the answer on that one for a while, but you know, I would also say that Holmes has been pretty good historically with um, with his uh, defensive back selections, or at least his uh, recommendations. I suppose. I mean, I think he's a pretty good scout of uh, secondary talent at least it seems like it to me so right now anyway I'm willing to sort of trust that you know they'll they'll get that thing figured out one or the other down the road here so I guess but that's yeah that that one Merrig was a hard one to see them pass on and then uh Wusakoromora was probably the other one where I was like "Ah." and then you mentioned the medical thing but there was a couple of those that were like well we'll see we'll have to wait and see how how it pans out yeah and again just on the Holmes scouting front like I maybe they do like some of these guys they already have there more than we they thought, could. you know, maybe CJ Moore is a guy they see as, as being part of this. And right. they signed uh, D'Angelo Amos, who was at James Madison, was really productive there, then transferred to Virginia. Uh, I think at this point you have to consider him, uh, you know, a possibility mm-hmm. to kind of crack the roster too. Um, so I, there's some guys there, like Jalen Elliott to me was an undrafted guy last year and certainly comes with his flaws, but that's also, yeah. like he also in college was kind of the type of guy that Holmes maybe looked he's at. He's a smart player. Like, well, yeah, he's, right. uh, yeah. he understands what's happening back there. Maybe we can right. find something yeah, there. Yeah. So it, who knows? But uh, yeah, that was the surprise for me. And I, um, I guess we should hit the last draft pick before we wrap here, Jamar Jefferson. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I The Rams used a bunch of draft picks over the years when Holmes was there as scouting director on running back. Yeah, right. Um, I think, you know, we had an idea going into the draft that they maybe would look at that position again. Right. Do you think this guy has a chance? They also signed a couple of running backs as uh, undrafted guys, including uh, Dedrick Mills from Nebraska. So it, there's going to be some competition there, if nothing else, for Gary right. Johnson and if they bring in another guy at some point down the road. I can see why um, Lynn probably likes him a lot. You know what I mean? Like as a former back himself and a guy who's in the systems he's been in um, and and has run himself. uh, I can see why they liked him. Uh, He is not running away from anybody. He is not like super explosive, but if your offensive line is going to be really good, which obviously they think it will be. uh, I do think that he's the type of back that can get you exactly what, you have blocked and probably a couple more. He's not going to get, you mentioned Karan Higdon in the thing we did today. And I don't know if he's exactly like Karan and athletically, but as a player, right. yes, as a player, it's very similar. It's, you know, he, you know, obviously college NFL are different, right? But like when, when Higdon was in his last year at Michigan, um, you know, Michigan had an offensive line that had five NFL players on it. So Michigan had one of the best offensive lines in terms of just a straight, you know, they were one of the best outside zone blocking, certainly in the big 10 and one of the best in the country that year. Um, and Higdon was just so good at knowing exactly where his landing marks were, knowing exactly where he had to go. It was one cut, and then everything else was just feel from there. There wasn't any extra junk. There wasn't any extra whatever. There wasn't any spins or anything that he couldn't handle. <laughs> he did exactly what he could do well, and he didn't do any of the stuff that he was bad at. And I think that when I watched Jefferson run, that's what I saw. I saw a guy who was playing to his strengths playing the hits and anything he wasn't good at, leave it alone. And I also love that when somebody said, hey, Jamar, what's it going to be like to run behind uh, Benny Sewell from the rival ducks? He goes, I think it'll be just fine. <laughs> I'm just like, sounds good, my man. I think that's going to work out. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see. 
he's not an overwhelming player, but I think he's a smart runner, and I I can understand why you know maybe they like him. But for the seventh round, you know, I mean, why not? Yeah, I think Higdon uh, probably is a little more athletic. He's definitely faster. Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, they, yeah, he's not going to finish like that, right? It yeah. it was yeah, it was just the the play style, like you said, that I kind of mm-hmm. like watching it, and maybe it was just the how the scheme was in general that reminded me right. of how they yeah. used Higdon, but it was similar, like just he'd flow laterally until the exact moment he needed to get moving north and south and, and then, then he'd boom. plant and yeah. go and you'd get five right. yards and occasionally yeah. he'd bust one off that was longer if it was really lo- well mm-hmm. blocked downfield but he wasn't gonna yeah. he wasn't gonna get to the second level and put a highlight reel juke on a linebacker like that's just not right. what he's gonna be so uh i i mean i think it's a it's a good ad at that point they obviously liked him home said they had him graded quite a bit higher than where they took him and then you know, you look at uh, they added Raheem Boyd and they added uh, Mills. Like, I, there's clearly going to be some competition here, and Carry On Johnson's another one where the blocking right. f- certainly they will love, uh, the pass catching they will like. I don't know how much you can trust him at this point with the health yeah. and everything else. Yeah. So I think it makes yeah. sense to bring in, uh, bring in some competition, and obviously. Most of the touches at running back are under control. You would hope with Swift right. yeah, and Jamal right. Williams. Yeah, the carry-on thing is going to be a pretty interesting subplot uh, to training camp, I would imagine, you know, because, I mean, yeah, it's just going to depend on his knee. It's going to depend on how healthy he is. I mean, I think that that, you know, we go all the way back to last fall, and it's like that's why they brought in Peterson, you know. they. I mean, you, we watched him in camp when they brought him back in August with that giant brace on, and he did not look like carry-on Johnson. He didn't look like the guy that, you know, we all remember watching and for a couple weeks there in 2018 when he had that zip and could get outside and stretch. Like, if he can get it back – then, I mean, that's a pretty good trio if, if he could get yeah. it back. But, like, I don't know if he can. I think they're willing to – they're definitely willing to see. You know what I mean? Like, they're definitely going to give him a chance. Uh, they definitely they like him. I think that that's the important thing. Chris said it there. I mean, they like that – they're going to like that he can block. They're going to like um, that he can catch the ball. And I think they're just going to like carry on. I think they're going to like that he'll do what you mm-hmm. ask him to do. Like, he's not going to complain or, you know, bitch or moan or whatever else. I think whatever you want him to do, he'll do it. But, you know, is it going to, is his body going to be able to, to handle it? And I think that that's going to be the telltale. And if he can't, then, you know, this might be it. I mean, I, I don't know yeah. if he's promised a spot at this point, you know, an opportunity is probably about all he can sort of lean on here because, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And in, be- in between the roster and the practice squad, you're going to need, I mean, you usually have four or five running backs anyway. Last year, the NFL right. had the rule where you could bring up a certain number of practice squad guys and Jonathan Williams kept coming up uh, yeah, right. as sort of a fail safer. I'm not, I honestly don't know for sure whether or not that's the rule or not this year again, if they're going right. to let teams have either. that yeah. space with the practice squad. But um, yeah, I mean, I would think at least one of those running backs probably ends up sticking And Jefferson, uh, as we talked about, has some, mm-hmm. like it's the third to last pick of the draft. Like you're right. not going to get <laughs> someone who's going to step in and be a starter there. So you may as well take a chance right. on a guy you like and, you said, I, I think with what Anthony Lynn wants to do in the run game, he certainly makes sense. So, all right. Well, uh, final thoughts. What's next? Like, yeah. <laughs> where is this going well, now? I mean, I was watching Spencer Rattler tape when you uh, pinged me to join the zoo. <laughs> so maybe that's where this You're goes. Already in. I mean, I think that like that uh, it was a good draft. I think they ran it right. Right. Like, I think that that for me, it was like. Uh, we talked about this a bunch. You just don't know until you see what they do in the situations. And it's like, are, are we going to be sitting there in the third round being like, what the hell is he doing? Like, I can't figure out why this makes sense. And that didn't happen. Yeah. Like, 
at minimum, I was kind of like, if if they just go through the draft and it's logical and people can sort of understand where they're going, I think everybody will, will get behind it and, and it'll be okay. But I mean, really, athletically, I thought it was a good draft and I think it's a good start. But I do think as you go forward, you know, as we talk about this, when they get into it next year, I do think that your needs are going to probably play a larger role, but it's going to be fascinating to see how big of a role, because we talked to Brad Holmes so much this weekend about, we are not passing on good players, guys. Like, it's just not going to happen. So if you think we need a linebacker and we like a fifth defensive end better, we're taking the defensive end. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's sort of his philosophy. I'm interested to see how that sort of holds as they go forward here and get more evidence on the roster. But um, good start. A ton of work left to do. And uh, I think that's probably the biggest uh, the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, I mean, it, you? it certainly wasn't uh, like a sexy, flashy draft. You know, they didn't get the yeah, it didn't big have to be, though. playmaker yeah. at wide receiver. They didn't get like the elite pass rusher. You know, they they didn't get the quarterback, yeah. obviously. Like there were, there were ways this could have gone where you came out of that feeling the just excitement right. you get from taking some of those superstar guys. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, uh, as we've said, I don't know that they were in a spot to take those guys. And I think that no. they got the guys that they want to build uh, build around because there's a very specific vision for how they're going to try and, and claw this back together. And I think a lot of it starts, obviously, in the trenches that we've seen. And, and uh and with athleticism, that's the other thing. They got the all other than St. Brown and Jefferson, yeah. I guess. You know, you're taking guys who are exceptional athletes for their position, um, and, and just try to figure out what they can do from there. So I think, yeah, they, I don't know that you can knock the way they got to these draft picks at all. Like I think the no, process of it was exactly what it's been all off season. It it's it's been pretty clear that they're not just winging this at any point you know this is all mm-hmm. done uh within the construct of of sort of how they want to take this forward so i i think it was a successful weekend for them and again yeah there's still this roster's nowhere near where it needs to be <laughs> for them to be a, a division title contender or a super bowl yeah. contender like this is a as they are aware is a multi-year rebuild and so now you gotta yeah you've got to get these guys into place so that they're productive and, and growing in their first year. And then you, as you said, you've got to hit this again. Like you got to have a really good draft again next year, or you kind of lose all your momentum. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, you, you've got to be able to do it again. I mean, we talked so much about, you you got to find starters in this draft, right? Like if nothing else, just find, just find starters on Thursday and Friday. So Sewell's going to start on Zurique is going to start. McNeil's a starter. Uh, Mel and Fawn was going to play. I don't know if he's a starter. St. Brown's a starter. I mean, like they found starters. So like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you know, Derek Barnes is probably going to play a ton too. So I think they found guys who can come in and fill jobs right now and athletically upgrade the roster. So, Hey, you know what? Like everybody has a little bit of project to them in this class to a degree, but I think for the most part, their athleticism will get them on the field as they learn. And that's at the bare minimum, what they needed out of this draft, I thought. So they got they got <laughs> yeah. that checked off, and they seem it's like fair. a better team today, right? Like, I think they're a better team today, roster-wise, than they were last week at this time, and I think that's what you wanted. Yep. I, I'm, yeah, I agree. Better team today and also a better team for 2022. Like, if mm-hmm. assuming these guys stay healthy and this coaching staff develops players the way they say they're, they're going to be able to develop players, like, this is... Yeah. You've got a base now. You have at least... 
or at least the start of a base for how to build this thing moving forward. So it's a long-term project, but I do think that it was a good, it was a successful weekend for them. I think they have to feel good about how this weekend went. Yep. I agree with that. All good. All right. Anything well, else here today? No, Before I think we, we can wrap there. Uh, I, take a, uh, go take a nap after this? Yeah, after right. I uh, <laughs> finished my coffee about 30 minutes ago, so I'm dragging to the finish line. Um, we do want to uh, remind everyone to go rate us, review us, subscribe. Uh, you can find us on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to uh, your favorite podcasts. Also, get over to theathletic.com. We still have some subscription deals going on. If you haven't signed up and didn't sign up over draft weekend, you can... Uh, sign up now still circle back and read a lot of our coverage there yeah. I, I mentioned as we hinted at we've got some really cool stuff coming within the next week or so uh mm-hmm. some insider accessy type stuff that we think you're yeah, gonna like so stuff, yeah. um and, and then we'll get more into uh this draft class and sort of who these guys are Absolutely. and all that sort of stuff as we move forward here too and rookie minicamp we'll see if that happens or not mm-hmm. and then otas and uh, it's not that long before no, we're yeah, back out there at uh, Allen Park yeah. watching practice. So, uh, thanks to everyone who did read all our stuff and have been listening to the podcast throughout the draft process. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, make sure you hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions, and we'll wrap there. So for Nick, I'm Chris. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>